Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 26. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 8 of Chamber of Secrets, The Death Day Party. Or, as we like to call it, How to Be a Ghost. So we start off where the months are going into the fall, which is the best time in Shay's opinion. <laughs> Absolute best time of the year. I'm all about that fall life. And of course, there's the idea of the fact that everyone's getting sick with like colds and the flu and stuff. And they had this pepper up potion, which I kind of forgot about, but it sounds like actually kind of cool the way that it just like has like steam coming out of like your ears or whatever. Yeah. I feel like it's just like cough syrup with weird side effects. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen when I take NyQuil. If you take DayQuil at night and NyQuil at day, that's what'll happen. But I said, I was wondering if we would take uh, the pepper up potion. I think I would. Yeah, absolutely. I hate being sick. Like, I can handle pain. I can handle physical pain. But I do not like having the sniffles, let alone an actual, like, serious illness. I'm a big baby. So, like, give me all the pepper up potions and the vaccinations. I'll take them all. <laughs> and so uh, we get into the Quidditch trials, because that's all Harry cares about. And so they're preparing for their match against Slytherin. And Fred and George are spying on the Slytherin team to scope out how good their broom new brooms are. And I love the idea of Fred and George are just spies. <laughs> In my mind, they, like, dress up as bushes. They're, like, holding various branches and not moving in the middle of the Quidditch pitch. Like, really cheesy, glorious spying. Not, like, casually listening in. I want, like, full-on costumes. One of them's a bush. One of them's an old man with a mustache reading a newspaper, you know? Yeah, I think we do know that Fred and George are very good at spying. Coming into the future, like, they have the extendable ears in the next few books. So they just improve their spy ways. Yeah, they, they have a passion for secret information. So everyone's all in awe that Lucius Malfoy could afford all those brooms. But there's got to be some rich people in Gryffindor. Like, where's the rich Gryffindor parent trying to buy up a bunch of brooms for the team? Or Harry. Harry's got loads of money and he has no idea what to do with it. Why doesn't Harry buy his friend some nice brooms? Hmm? I think the Gryffindors are too proud to accept it. Like, we know Harry offers to buy the Weasley things all the time, and they were just like, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah, but Oliver Wood would say yes, and he's the only one who gets a say in these things. He'd be like, yes, get us the best brooms. Thank you. And they'd, the other ones would be like, yeah, we don't need the best brooms to beat Slytherin. And Wood would be like, we don't, but we will use them. Get us the best brooms. Like, Well, Wood has them training in, like, stormy weather. Like, Harry describes him as becoming, like overzealous of training and going crazy so oliver is like in into it right now <laughs> yeah he'd, he'd, he'd be very pro bias brooms i think so harry of course um after a muddy practice goes back into the castle and he runs into nearly headless nick and nick is basically reading this letter and he's not happy and harry's doing like you know the nice common thing where you go oh how are you and nick's like oh i'm fine but he's making it very obvious that he's not fine he's like just ask me why what's wrong with me ask me what's wrong and i hate when people do that just if there's something wrong just, t- just say it how it is you don't have to like, be all socially correct and be like oh i'm fine when you're not yeah i mean if you want to talk about the thing don't say no everything is fine if you don't want to talk about it, like, if you be like, no, just leave me alone, that's that's a valid option as well. But yeah, this whole, everything's fine, hum-ha, hum-ha. Yeah, he's just, like, almost manipulating Harry into being like, oh, I'm so upset about this thing, and Harry's just too polite to be like, okay, whatever, bye. 
It's funny, now that I pay more attention to the letter, like the actual letter from the Headless Hunt rejecting Sir Nicholas, I think it's interesting because their reasoning isn't just your head isn't fully off. It's like apparently specific activities they do involve being able to fully remove your head. So like they play like lawn bowling with heads or something like that and do a lot of like activities that would make it hard for Sir Nicholas to participate. So I like, I from that extent almost understand it. Like you really can't, roll your head down the hill if it's attached to your shoulder still, even if slightly. That being said, I feel like maybe they could just say, you can join our hunt, but when we're doing this game and this game and this game, you just have to be a ref, I guess, because you can't take your head off. I feel like they're just both petty ghosts. Because you feel for Nick, because I guess what else can you do when you're dead? Like, it, I don't know. The ghosts in the series don't make it seem like a cool life. It's just kind of, it seems kind of dull. <laughs> I mean, definitely it's 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 a good activity. Like, the Headless Hunt sounds like a group that does a lot of things. They don't just, like, hunt. They seem to have a lot of... It's a social group. And when you're old or dead, I can see how, like, a group that gets you out once in a while to do fun activities and socialization is really good for you. But uh, I do understand that it would be hard for him to play head bowling. I can see that. But they definitely probably could have made some exceptions. Like, you just can't head bowl. Sorry. Well, then there's the whole thing that, like, if you make an exception for him, you have to make an exception for everyone. How many almost headless ghosts do you think are out there, I guess, becomes my question. Well, I mean, how many people had, like, butchered beheadings? Yeah. I just feel like both Nick and him are petty because I feel like they gave him, like, a, like oh, you can't join a club because you don't meet the requirements. And he's being all petty and probably talking about how much how annoyed he is and then they come to his party and then they're just so petty where they're just like making a big deal of it they are such douchebags they're such jerks at the party oh my god <laughs> we'll talk about it more later but i'm just like the pettiness i mean as a ghost like i'd probably be petty too like what else are you gonna do for the rest of your life for the rest of the afterlife yeah for sure so while nick is explaining this to harry mrs norris comes out of nowhere and I was just wondering, Filch and uh, Mrs. Norris are just so connected, and I'm just wondering if there's like something about her that like connects her to Filch, because we know Filch is able to get somewhere so fast because he knows all the secret passages in the school. But Mrs. Norris is just like, I don't know, she just like she just is there, and then all of a sudden Filch is there, so like I feel like they have some kind of like soul connection or something. Aww. I mean, you know, they're both kind of the same type of like jerk. <laughs> so maybe they're, they they really met their one true match in life. Like, that's the perfect cat for him, and he's the perfect human for that cat. So after uh, Mrs. Norris comes, of course, Filch comes a second later, right after Nicholas, well, nearly headless Nick, warns Harry that Filch is in a terrible mood because he's sick with the flu and first year's frog brains up on the ceiling. And my whole thing is that, does Filch not get sick days? Like, what is Dumbledore doing? Like, Hogwarts needs HR. Absolutely. You tell me he works the whole school year when he has the flu. It's physical work, and it's physical work that literally any teacher in the school could get done in five minutes waving their wand a few times, and yet they make him spend all day doing it wall sick. It's terribly unfair. No wonder he hates everyone and is so miserable. Yeah, the whole other thing, too, is that we know Filch is a, is a squib, which is kind of like he's an outsider in the Wizarding Society, but, like, why is he working at a magic school where he can't use magic or has zero supports to help him clean this entire castle full of stupid kids? It makes no sense. He makes no sense as, as like, an actual practical hire. 
he doesn't like the kids. He doesn't like the job particularly. He's always angry. He doesn't seem to get along with most of the teachers. Like, Umbridge was the only teacher he ever had a relationship with. But, like, the people who are in positions to hire people should not have hired him. It does not make sense. Like, he deserves a job where he isn't miserable all the time and where he isn't constantly working hard to do things everyone else could get done easily. Like, it's... It's like no one's going to ever value the work Filch does because all of them could have done it so quickly. They don't even think about how much actual hours of physical labor he puts in. So he's underappreciated and resentful and no one does anything to sort of break that pattern. It's like what Ron says, at, like when he finds out that Filch is a squib, he's bitter. He's with all these kids that can do magic and he, I'll talk about it a bit later with the squib stuff, but like he, he doesn't have like the ability that they do. And I'm just wondering, like Dumbledore obviously hires people for some purpose. Like everyone he hires, he doesn't hire teachers that are or like staff to get a job done. It's like, it's just like for his own game he plays. So like why hire Filch? Like I don't get what he's... That's true. How does hiring Filch years before Harry comes around help with Harry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless Jumbledore just likes to see him suffer, then I don't know. I believe this has been stated as not canon, but I like the idea that Filch in himself is actually also a poltergeist, but he's the opposite poltergeist of Peeves. So Peeves is the embodiment of all the like repressed like stress and anxiety and like rebellious energy of like young hormonal teens. And then Filch is like the energy that exists to counteract that. So he's almost like the stress of the teachers, the stress of those students that are trying to do well. Like he's the embodiment of that. Like it almost makes more sense to me than him just actually being a normal squib dude because there's no good logic to that. Yeah, I feel like he's there for a purpose in the story that it's like to show what squibs are and it kind of plays a bigger part when we see that we find that the Mrs. Fig is a squib. But they're not really like a really big focus in the book and it just seems like Filch is just in a terrible dead end job. <laughs> and no one likes him. And I, I don't like him as a character or a person, but I feel bad for him. I can sympathize for him that, like, I would be that miserable all the time, probably. Yeah, I think I feel bad for more now I'm an adult because I hate cleaning. And just the idea that when you're sick and you have to, like, clean up, like, a huge mess, like, my patients be running thin, too. But anyway, Filch catches Harry covered in mud, mud and he is just like, I've had it. This is it. So he takes him into his office, which also like has no windows or anything. So Dumbledore just like hates this guy. <laughs> Hogwarts needs HR basically because I don't know these conditions illegal. But um, Harry notices that when he's getting all like forms to like write out his crimes, the Weasleys have a whole drawer to themselves. So I was just trying to imagine all the shenanigans that the Weasley twins got up to. A lot of toilet-related shenanigans, I would say. <laughs> At this time, where he's filling out the form, there's a huge crash from above, and of course, Filch is assuming it's Peeves. I mean, he's correct, but he's just like he's been waiting to get his like get Peeves kicked out. That's his whole story in the whole series, and it never happens. <laughs> but he leaves, and Harry's left alone in the office. And of course, as a nosy twelve-year-old, the one thing he wants to do was read someone else's mail. Classic Gryffindor. And I actually find it funny that Harry is such a polite, like, kid. We always talk about how he's maybe too polite sometimes. But he does stuff like this where he's off. It's obviously not right or polite. And he's just like, I need to, do, I need to, do, look, I need to look at this. It's the Gryffindor urge. It's like, is it a bad choice? Yes. Is it kind of morally wrong? Yes. But do I really, really, really want to know? Yes. <laughs> so obviously Filch has this uh, 
quick spell course. I find this like confusing because at one thing I think it's a scam, but it also makes me curious about like um, how squibs are. So they're basically the opposite of Muggleborns, where Muggleborns are born into to Muggle parents where they have magic. So I kind of always assumed that squibs were basically Muggles that were born into like wizard parents, but it seems like some squibs or maybe it kind of varies that they have some magic, but just not enough to qualify going to Hogwarts and training in training because we know Neville said that he was afraid he wouldn't get the letter that, that he was a squib and he didn't have enough magic. My first thought on the uh, fake wizarding school is that it seems a lot like those fake for-profit private colleges you see ads for all the time where they're like become a paralegal become a this become a that but they like do not teach you what you need to know and you are not actually qualified to do it graduating and like the all the like exams to certify or whatever that you have to take do not acknowledge those credits because it's just a money grabbing scam like that's kind of what it feels like my other thought is that when the he reads the testimonials in the letter from like other people who used that school it doesn't say that they're squibs it just says they were struggling with magic so i think maybe there's a chance that like some people who would use like maybe it's not a bunch of squibs doing this school it's just people who like are embarrassed and need a little bit of help with magic like it seems to me like some of those people, like the way they worded their testimonials, like my family was always making fun of me for sucking at this particular magic. And it's like, if you were a squib, you wouldn't really be doing that particular magic. So maybe it's kind of like people who were like homeschooled or went to other magic schools or even did not do well at Hogwarts that are like out of practice or just not good at certain kinds of magic. And this is like the, like if you're in a French class and failing, so you also do Duolingo for French in hopes of getting a bit better. Like I feel like it could be that type of situation. I feel like not all squibs are as bitter about it as Filch. I mean, because of the situation he's in and the job he has. He must have some kind of magical ability that he's looking into a course because I always assume that they couldn't do magic at all. And maybe they have some ability, just not like a lot. So, because it kind of seems like a scam because how can they teach you how to do things with magic if like you don't have like the magic there? Like we don't even know if Filch has a wand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that the, that that type of scam might apply, like reach out to squibs, but also just people who aren't going to magic might have interest in it. I feel like maybe some squibs have a little bit of magic. I wouldn't think Filch does because he, we would have seen it somehow, I think. Like, I think he just has none. Maybe some squibs have a little bit. Yeah. Unless his magic is just his connection with his cat. <laughs> okay. But some people, I mean, maybe. I mean, it's like, he's, you know he comes, like, it's like he has a familiar, like a proper witch familiar, where, like, they have that special connection, they interact in that special way of, like, proper canon of how familiars work. You can almost see through their eyes and sense what they're sensing, but that's, like, the extent. Like, he has that, but that's not almost a sense of magic, that's just being a wizard. He just happens to be a squib wizard, you know what I mean? Like, he can't use, he doesn't... He can't do magic, but he has magic. So things that aren't terribly active, aren't encanting, aren't that maybe he does have. And I don't think a class online or through the mail will help him much. Well, coming back, uh, Filch comes back and he's saying to his cat that Peeves knocked over the vanishing cabinet and it's expensive, so he's going to be in trouble. And there's a little bit of foreshadowing to that very vanishing cabinet that plays a huge part later in the series especially in Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince. So it's kind of cool that we got it this early on because I don't actually remember that digesting that when I was a kid. 
Because when I read it, I was like, oh my god, the vanishing cabinet! I also wonder, as a fun sort of thought experiment, we really don't know what punishment Filch was going to give Harry, but he was very excited about it. Like, he seemed very enthusiastic to really punish Harry. What do you think his punishment was going to be? Well, you know Filch always wants to, like, hang kids from their ankles in the dungeons or something. But obviously, yeah, he can't do that. But he's not allowed to do that yet. I think the most appropriate thing would be, like, to get Harry to clean up all the mud and maybe use, like, a toothbrush or something. That's his own toothbrush. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, clean the mud up in all the hallways with your own toothbrush. Because it's, like, practical in that he's cleaning it up. It's a little bit cruel because it's a smaller cleaning device, and it's extra cruel because it's for his teeth. So Harry finds out after this whole piece debacle, he kind of gets to sneak it. Wait, I forgot part. Basically, Harry, uh, Filch finds out that Harry read his quickspell thing or he assumes so and harry's just terrible at lying which is so awkward because he doesn't want to admit that he's he's looking into the the quickspell course you know harry has no idea like what a squib is like he's like is filch not a proper wizard harry had never assumed to this point that filch wasn't a wizard even though he didn't use magic to clean and he's always complaining about cleaning so i mean yeah i mean harry knows he's the main character so he doesn't concern himself with these little side character issues He's like, I am the main character. I'm not too concerned about the, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> main character syndrome. <laughs> but either way, there's just like this awkward tension and he's just like, get out, leave. I'm too busy with Peeves, even though Peeves is still there <laughs> by the end of the chapter. Just can't get rid of Peeves. And Harry finds out that uh, Nick was the one that convinced Peeves to knock over the cabinet, which basically saved him detention. And probably cleaning the mud off of his toothbrush. <laughs> and then, of course, um, Harry, feeling obligated, asks Nick if there's anything they can do for him. And Nick's like, oh, yes, come to my death day party instead of going to dinner. Well, first off, my little, like, punk rock gothy child heart is like, yes, I want to go to a death day party. That sounds so cool. Even if it's awful, it sounds like such a neat, like, Hermione says, like, how often do the living get to go to death day parties? How unique an experience. I'm like, yes, that would be so interesting. Like, how do you celebrate your death? What is the, like, tone of a party like this? Is it exciting and happy? Is it a little bit somber? Is it morbid? I don't know. Like, do you reenact your death? That could be fun. Like, I don't know. (laughs) But it sounds really fun to me. I will say, however, as someone who, like, sometimes gets invited to things and doesn't always know if I'm going to have a good time, I I wouldn't have just been like, yes, we'll come to your party. I would have sort of made it a bit more like, I'll make sure to stop by. I'd love to be a part of it. I'm just going to have to get some food first. Because A, I will be miserable if I don't eat, even if it's the coolest party ever. And B, that means like I'm not. Like, like, look, I'm coming. I want to pay respects to you, show you that I value you, but also like not get their expectations too high for how long I'll be there, you know? Harry's too polite for this. And also, I feel like Nick's kind of manipulating him Absolutely. because he's like, oh, would you come to this? And he's like, oh, you probably want to go to the feast. I understand. But it'd be great if you could. But I get you won't gonna, you wouldn't want to come. But it would have been the perfect opportunity for after headness, nearly headless Nick says, I bet you want to go to the feast. I could be like, well, I can just grab some food there quick and then come by. No worries. And that means I get my food. Well, Harry at this point doesn't know there's not going to be food because Harry's right. Of course, I keep forgetting he's a Gryffindor, and <laughs> I also feel like that kind of thinking doesn't really like. I feel like when you're, especially when you're young, you feel kind of in, like inclined to just say yes to people, and I don't feel like when you're older, that's when you kind of be like, actually, no, or I will do this first, then I'll do this. But as a kid, when someone's just like, oh, you want to come over to my house, you're just like, yes, we want to come out to this, yes, even if you don't want to. 
Yeah, I guess you're not as much a I'll get back to you person as a child as you are when you're an adult. I find it really interesting is that um, Harry agrees to go to this and then Nick's like, oh, you can bring Ron and Hermione with you. And just like over ever, he already knows that they're a package deal. Yeah, I mean, he's the Gryffindor ghost. He, he knows who's friends with who. It just kind of shows early on, like this is like the rest of like the series. It's just like Harry basically being invited to something or having to do something. And he's like, okay, and this I also come with Ron and Hermione, so... You know, package deal. Yeah, yeah, they're a package deal, for sure. <laughs> well, it even goes back to Half-Blood Prince, where Harry just kind of tells Dumbledore, like, oh, hey, is it okay if I tell Ron and Hermione everything you've told me? And he, Dumbledore's like, yeah, whatever. At this point. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, imagine yeah. Dumbledore been like, no. Harry would have been like, but I love and respect Dumbledore, but, but I like to talk to Ron. And if I don't explain it to Hermione, I'm not going to understand what it is. Like, Dumbledore already factored them into the plan at that point. Yeah. He's like, all right, these are my expendables. It's probably how Dumbledore sees them. He's like, these are the human shields I'm curating for Harry. Nice, nice human shields. Well, speaking of Ron and Hermione, Harry goes up to the common room and is telling him about the death day party. And like he said, Hermione's super excited. And Ron's just kind of like, ugh, why did you like, like agree to this for me? Which I get. And in the background, Fred is feeding a salamander a firework. <laughs> well, Percy yells at him. And I just like, I didn't really like remember this because it's just like a little like ambiance in the background where Harry's trying to like explain them to stuff. And then in the background, Fred's just like doing shit like this and Percy's yelling at him. And it's such a funny background thing. Like normally when you have like background stuff, it's like just so you sort of know who's around. It's like a light dusting of like some of the other Gryffindors were there. The twins were there in the common room, you know? It's so specific and like eye-catching. It's such a weird bit of like a background information to put in that does not pertain to the plot. Like they're like, they're not just there. They're doing this very interesting, specific attention grabbing thing. That it's almost like, I really don't care about Harry's conversation right now. I'm much more interested in what they're doing, which is such a weird thing to do in a book. <laughs> yeah, I read that passage over again, because like I don't really remember like that happening, but it just makes sense, because Harry's trying to, he meant to mention like the squib thing to them, but he forgot because there's all the commotion going on with Fred and George. But this salamander like flies around the common room. I don't know what I thought. Okay, they open up with the death day party. And it just seems very somber and kind of not what I would expect a death day party to be. Especially since it's like his like 400th death day. Yeah, I feel like it's I feel like it's hard to know what the tone of a death day party would be. I mean, it's kind of like people who throw divorce parties. Like you're happy something's over, you're excited for the next chapter, but there's a little bit of loss in there maybe, you know? A little bit of like it's like a complicated thing, I would say, a death day party. I I would think it's like a combination. Like I'd like to think of it as like sort of like an Irish wake where it starts off like kind of sad and like here's a speech about the person I loved or in this case here's a speech about myself because I'm a ghost and still here and then sort of gets a little bit more fun and exciting and sort of like rowdy and becomes more of like a party atmosphere like remember when I had to pee back in the day when I had a bladder hilarious do you guys remember sneezing like I feel like it should start somber and then become a good time for reminiscing about life and enjoying the perks of ghostdom. I bet there's really good songs for death day parties. A lot of really good music. I don't know why they're listening to saws when they could be listening to like heavy metal, death metal, Helena by My Chemical Romance, Dead by My Chemical Romance. <laughs> just seems like it would be a really good time to come up with a playlist for a death day party. But yeah, I just find like, 
I was expecting um, the music to be more like like um, based on like what Nick would have experienced growing up like in the 14th century. But uh, yeah, it's just like a saw or something. Like I get the whole food thing, like where her, where the food's rotten, and Hermione says it's probably because like the so it's like has a better flavor, so you can kind of taste it. Just have really old cheeses. I feel like cheeses are good aged. I think that's how I would find my way around that. Not gross, but old. Nick didn't really explain what it was, and Harry's twelve, so I feel like. It's not a place, a Deathly Party is not something like a 12-year-old would enjoy. And they're there out of politeness. And I feel Nick knows that deep down. And he just asks him to, like, talk him up to Patrick, the guy from Hedda's Hunt. And Harry kind of does. But the thing is, like, Harry's just, like, kind of overwhelmed with, like, what the heck this party is. Also, they're probably starving because they haven't eaten. See, I wouldn't have had that problem because I would have eaten first. I feel like... They could have put out a bit more effort for Nearly Headless Nick. That's how I feel. Could have done a bit more. But I have a lot of questions about how ghosts work in this world, based on the presence of some of the ghosts at this party. For example, they mentioned someone being in from, like, far part of England. And it's interesting because, like, in my mind, sort of, like, someone dies, they become a ghost, and they become sort of tethered to a specific place that was very meaningful to them in their life. But, like, sounds like this ghost just came to visit for a party. So I'm kind of like, how easy is it for a ghost to travel from their location of haunting to go somewhere else for a party or something? Like, Yeah, it's, that's why I don't get how ghosts kind of work in the series, because it seems like they're all like kind of tethered to Hogwarts. And I get Hogwarts to be a, cl- a cool place to kind of like be. But we know that they're, like, they're kind of restricted by the ministry, because we will talk in a few chapters when we hear Myrtle's backstory about how basically she tried haunting the girl that made her life terrible, and she was, like, ordered by the ministry to, like, stay at Hogwarts or something. But yeah, I don't get, like, how they're, they're able to travel and move and just, like, what restrictions the ministry can place on them, because, like, they don't really exist in, like, their world. So, like, how do, like, they're, like, how do they, like, manage them? <laughs> How do you punish a ghost? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, what if Myrtle was like, no, I'm just going to keep haunting this chick? Like, is there some sort of, like, special magic you can do to, like, tether their spirit to an object or something? And wherever you put that object, they have to stay in that vicinity? Like, is that some sort of, like, like in horror movies when they capture an evil spirit in a in a spirit box or something like that? Like one of those little puzzle boxes? Yeah. I think there must be something that they can do because we know ghosts aren't completely like unaffected by the living life because of what happens to Nick later on in the series or in this book. So like there must be something to like affect them because I just feel like if there wasn't anything to affect them, like they can't really be governed by living people because they it doesn't affect them. Speaking of ghosts, um, off to the side, uh, they meet Peeves, and I'm just wondering, we talked about Peeves um, kind of existing based off chaotic energy, and I'm wondering, like, does he get that from the ghosts, rather, because I feel like he probably gets that more from the students. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, he's still in the castle, so I feel like he's close enough that he's probably still absorbing lots of chaos and hormones from the kids, but I think it's probably nice occasionally, even for him, a very unique sort of type of ghost to be around the actual dead. And especially because, like, as a poltergeist, he's sort of always been a poltergeist. Like, he's never been just a living person. So I feel like it's probably as interesting for him to be around the children as it is for him to be around the ghosts because they're both, like, not something he can fully understand. Like, he's kind of got a foot in the door 
on both teams almost. So that's got to be fun. And also, he's a pain in the ass and someone's having a party, you know? Like, I feel like he parties lead to chaos and he seems like he likes chaos so he's there to hope for the best and oh he uh as they meet him he is about to cause chaos because um he hermione drags them away from moaning myrtle and he overhears hermione talking about her so of course in P's faction he's like i'm gonna call myrtle over and we meet Moaning Myrtle, who is a ghost that haunts the girl's toilet, which is a huge red flag for me, because how does Dumbledore run a school where there is a ghost that haunts a toilet? That seems like such a, a thing that you probably should be concerned about. I mean, it seems like there's some ghosts that, like, really do have a purpose at Hogwarts. You know what I mean? Like, the house ghosts, they sort of work in a bit of a mentorship or just, like, adult supervision sort of role. And there's lots of other ghosts out and about and even some of the paintings that seem to like really contribute to the school. I think with Moaning Myrtle, it's hard because she died as a child, right? She's a kid. So I feel like there's a little bit of like, they can't hold her to the same standard as they would an adult ghost because she doesn't have that maturity yet. And because she got cut off and died so young, even though she's been alive, like been around a long time. And the fact that she was murdered as well. Like, she's a ghost that died with, like, regrets, or I mean, not regrets, but with trauma. So I feel like that's very much displayed in her. And dying separated her from her peers because she was now dead. So even though she's been alive for a long time, she hasn't really had the opportunity to develop socially at a normal pace because nobody really wants to hang out with the bathroom ghost. So I feel like if they actually wanted to resolve the Moaning Myrtle issue earlier on, they should have put in some effort to like finding people to support her and like helping her make friends with other ghosts or teaching her how to be friends to like some of the students who were around her age when she died. Like, but no one took the time to be like, she could be a long-term problem if we don't put in some effort now. They're just like, oh, well, she's annoying and we'll just leave her there forever. It does not seem like an appropriate way to handle her death. Like, if I were her parents, I would be furious. Not only is my child dead, but you're deeply neglecting her ghost. Like, she's annoying as hell, though. Like, they should totally do something about her, but they should have done something about her years ago. We think at the time, she was a very, like, neglected and obviously bullied kid, and obviously she's annoying. But I feel like since she died that way, being bullied, that's what she's internalized. So her whole, like, personality is based off what she was when she died, which was, like, like a, like, 13, 14-year-old that was just, like, upset, depressed, and bullied. And so that's just what she projects, because I feel like ghosts are, ghosts, I think what Nick explains are, like, imprints of, like, what they were. So at the time, that's what she was. So that's just what she is. Except now that she's been, like, dead for, like, 50 years and she's still, like, this, like, traumatized, like, child. At bare minimum, they should have done more for her. But also they definitely, at this point, regardless of the fact that they did or didn't do anything about her, it really is unfair to the students now. Like, what if you got a pee? I would, like... I feel like it should have been a red flag when she tried to, like, haunt her, like, tormentor and followed her around, and they're like, oh, wow, this poor tortured ghost is following this tormentor around, like, years after she died. Like, maybe we should, like, make sure she's okay, because, you know, it's been 20, 30 years, but... But instead, we'll send her back to the place where she died to be bullied continuously as a ghost now. Not smart. Bad work, Hogwarts. Like, I'm not saying they need an exorcist, but maybe an exorcist? Like, I feel like... She doesn't want to be a ghost. She was so mad about dying that she, like, made that choice, however that's done. But I feel like she's been miserable for so long, she might have rather die and go to whatever comes next for wizards. Yeah. 
Need some, as you said, you wrote down ghost therapy. Definitely need some ghost therapy. Ghost therapy. She needs some ghost therapy. That's all I'm saying. Well, as you said, Harry and Co. aren't very, I guess, socially polite, and they decide to ditch the Fideshe party because uh, they notice Nick's trying to give a speech and the Headless Hunter being petty and just causing chaos to upstage him. And you know what? They're like, you know what? I'm gonna go. And also they're starving because they, they missed like their feast. So they're like, they're hoping they can go get some food, which important. But uh, they go up to go the Great Hall and Harry hears the voice again. And Harry like, describes him as being like, it, it chills him, but he, it also excites him. I feel like Harry and Co just like, they love that mystery of like knowing things. Like Harry's just like, ooh, this thing that I don't know what it is, but I gotta, I'm gonna find out. Yeah. Like, most people would be, like, kind of concerned. Like, you hear this voice talking about ripping something apart. You're like, okay, that's weird. I need to get dinner. But he's like, oh, I need to find out what this is. I mean, I think I would, too, and I'm not even Gryffindor. If I was hearing a weird voice, I'd be like, okay, we need to get to the bottom of this to know if I need some medication and more therapy. Or, <laughs> like, we need to see if I'm crazy or there's an issue. Yeah, well, Harry starts taking off following the voice because he can sense it's going up and away from the Great Hall. And Ron and Hermione are such good friends because of the fact that they're probably starving and they missed the, the feast to go with Harry to this event. They still follow him. Their curiosity outweighs their hunger. Well, they, they can't hear the voice. So they're just doing it out of like loyalty to Harry because they don't know what Harry's talking about. Like they don't hear the voice or anything. They're just like Harry's running off. Loyalty or, or like concern. Yeah, maybe a bit of both. <laughs> So they run up to the hallway where they can see something in like the darkness and there's like a message on a wall and there's something dangling from the torchlight and it's Mrs. Norris. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, and the no. blood on the wall reads, the chamber of secrets has been opened. Enemies of the hair, beware. So I think I have a couple thoughts about that sort of moment. One, blood all over the wall, super spooky for kids. I mean, I loved Spooky as a kid, so I'm about that life, but it's pretty spooky. Like, even in the movie, the scene is pretty, it's pretty spooky. Um, my other concerns is, like, how did no one else find this corpse hanging there covered in blood? Like, it seems like, I don't know, is no one walking the halls at all at Hogwarts these days? Well, everyone's at the feast, because this is, like, their, it's Halloween night, so it's, like, their, like, proper, like, big feast. Yeah, yeah. It's always ha- it's always Halloween at Hogwarts when it comes to bad things happening. Every Halloween's actually a pretty big like uh, thing in the, like the series. Like something always happens on Halloween night. Like James Lee died Halloween. The troll came in Halloween. Yeah, I mean it's classic because they're wizards, you know, and witches, and Halloween is the time. But it's nice. It's it's a substantial holiday. Big things happen on Halloween for us all. I'm sure. I just think it's interesting, like, even all the ghosts in the building happen to not be walking. Like, normally the ghosts don't go to all the meals. They wander around the halls being ghosty ghosts. So it's awfully convenient that, like... Wouldn't they all be at Nick's uh, party? Exactly. Exactly. So it's, like, awfully convenient that in all the both the big events that would take all the people to one room and then take all the dead to one room occur at the same time, and that's when this happens. Like, it's such a prime opportunity. Like, do you think, like... Ginny Weasley overheard Harry telling Ron and Hermione about the death day party and then because Ginny knew Voldemort could know and that's why Voldemort sent her to do it at that time. You know? It's all very interesting. Well, at this point, um, Ginny's been writing in that diary for like two months, so he's probably starting to get a, a really good hold on her. Yeah. Yeah, this is very cool because this chapter is kind of just kind of like 
random things that are happening. Like we're getting ready for the Quidditch match and the, it ends on like such like a kind of cliffhanger almost because we know something's kind of going on. So this is like the kind of the first big setup we get into what's going to be like the main plot of the book. Yeah. Where something mysterious happens. Yeah. It's cool because as a chapter, it just contains so much magical fluff. You sort of forget plot almost for most of the chapter. Like it's like, ooh, flying is magic. And ooh, ghosts are magic. And ooh, ghost parties are magic. And you're like, ooh, salamanders. You're so caught up in all the like magical fluff and fuzz. You almost forget that you should be expecting something to happen because there's so much of it in such a like reasonably short chapter. You're kind of like, oh, right, things are happening. And when they happen, they happen hard. Like, you know, what's interesting is Ron kind of voices that they shouldn't be here because Harry's and Hermione are kind of like, oh, should we help? Like, because they don't, they well, they assume the cat's dead, but they don't, they don't really know. And Ron's like, no, we need to leave. Like, this is bad. Like, so Ron's still kind of like our wizarding, like, what's right and wrong person here, where it's Ron's voicing, not good. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, this looks shady AF. I want no part of it. And Hermione's like, curious and empathetic. And Harry's like, ah! Like, why does this always happen to me? <laughs> why is it always me? But of course, at that moment, the feast lets out. So all the students are coming towards them because they're going back to their dorms. And Draco Malfoy is the one who's kind of like, shows us kind of like how it's not great. It's like, you'll be next by blood. So Draco kind of has like, he knows exactly what it means because Lucius has prepped him for this moment. Yeah, he, or he understands the basics of it. He understands that bad things are happening and someone's been threatened and he's hoping it's the people he dislikes that have been threatened. Yeah, but either way, good part. A little, little like, um, I guess cliffhanger chapter as we get into the root of the Chamber of Secrets. As we get deeper into the Chamber of Secrets. Eh? Eh? Deeper into the chamber? So you have some ghost thoughts, since we did do a lot of ghost stuff this chapter. Ghost talk. So I guess I have a lot of ghost thoughts and a lot of ghost questions. I think mostly questions. Like, we don't get a lot of, like, deeper level understanding of how ghosts work. Like, we know most of them died in unpleasant ways or with unfinished business. They all sort of have something they didn't finish that sort of tethered them there. But is that a choice? Like, do you die and then you appear in a magical glowing white train station and then some old bearded wizard says... Yeah, I feel like Nick explains it to Harry and Order the Phoenix where, like, you make a choice to stay or go on. Yeah. But I feel like in most ghosts, like, like lore, I guess, it's more like ghosts that have unfinished business are, like, stuck here until they, like, can cross over. So it definitely feels different of that. Yeah. I Because I have a lot of questions, yeah, about this choice, right? So, like, does everyone get the choice? Do you die? And then it's like, would you like to go on to the next life or stay in this one? And then you just, like, if everyone chooses, if everyone chooses, it's a little questionable why some people didn't. Like, I think it's a little hard. Like, it makes no sense to me that certain characters didn't make the choice to be a ghost. Like, I would struggle with the idea that Fred didn't struggle. Like, I want to know, because I think it would have been a hard choice of all people for Fred Weasley to decide 
to move on and not stay as a ghost when his brother's there and his family and friends are there and they don't know how the war, the war is going to end. It feels like if you make the choice to be a ghost, that's your choice for like ever. So I feel like there, there there's the waiting choice because when Harry asks if Sirius would come back, he's like, oh no, Sirius wouldn't come back because obviously, you know, Sirius wants to like, he, it's his like his time's over. He wants to be moving on with James and Lily and stuff. And I could see why Fred would want to to stay home, but I just feel like he wouldn't want to. I think it'd also be hard for watching everyone grow up while you were kind of stuck that same. And I feel like a ghost is like a forever thing. So what happens when like all his family like dies from old age? Yeah. Well, the other thing about that is that like, obviously a lot of children die at the Battle of Hogwarts and like young people. And so my question is like, to me, is a, I think a, being a ghost is a choice a lot of young people would be more likely to take because they don't know the repercussions of their actions and they're just like, I want to stay with my friends and my parents. So like, to me, if it were 50, like every person gets the option, there would be a lot more kid ghosts floating around because you're less likely to think it through all the way to the end. And you're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Oh, I don't have to go. Okay, great. I'm staying. Like, it just based on that being the method of deciding to be a ghost, I think there'd be a lot more of them specifically kid ghosts. And then also, it's interesting that, like, like, I get the, like, I think it's more tempting to stay if you're angry at the moment when you die, or you're particularly upset when you die, or, like, when there is something tethering you there. Yeah, maybe it's someone that people that die in more, like, tragic circumstances, because we know that Harry asked Nick about Sirius, who died, like, unexpectedly, like, basically by accident, and we know Nick was, like, executed, so that's also traumatic, so from his experience, he's saying, oh, I had a choice, I could go on, or I could stay, and I was too scared of death, so I stayed. We don't know how it is to people that, like, like, if you die as a kid or something by just like illness or something like maybe they don't get that option because it seems like yeah but even then at the battle of hogwarts kids died like i could see lavender brown who died with being like yeah i'm like 17 maybe i don't want to be dead maybe i'll stick around because i don't i'm mad about it you know what i mean like i just think even there are a lot of like even brutal deaths for younger characters so it kind of seems like there's not enough ghosts for that to be believable to me. Like, everybody gets the choice when they die, or even everyone who dies violently gets the choice. I kind of feel like there's got to be some other qualifications or something. There's got to be, like, other... I wonder if, like, the guardian angel things, like, kind of, like, in play here, where you have someone that kind of, like, speaks to you after you die, being, like, these are your choices, and they kind of, like, are there to guide you. Because I feel like for a lot of younger people, they'd be like, well, I don't want to leave, because this is all I've known. Because I feel like when you die when you're older, it's like, okay, you've, you've lived your life. But if you die when you're, like, young, you're like, well, this this is shit. I don't want to go. But they're kind of, like, they're like, if you do this, like, you're, like, this is what you could be seeing in the afterlife. But but if you stay here, like, this is what it's going to be like. And that's, like, forever. Like, no take backs. So. Yeah, I feel like I it just, I feel like there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more to it than just, so do you want to stick around or leave? Like, there has to be something. My other question is, like, I understand that ghosts are dead and there are limitations on existing when you are dead, but to what extent do you think Voldemort ever considered that as a path to some form of immortality? Or to what extent do you think he was even capable of doing that? We know Voldemort, according to Dumbledore, was scared of dying. So he didn't, I don't think he ever considered being a ghost because dying is like losing and he wanted to live. But if you do die, like to me, to me, especially Voldemort, he's Slytherin, right? He's thinking things through. He's a backup plan to his backup plan. He has seven different plans to kill Harry. Like, I think that you have to consider, like, how do I, okay, if I die, how do I come back? Oh, great. Bone of the father, blood of the enemy, magic potion, pull me back. Great. 
but what if I die more real, like die better die? What if I die better than that? Um, I feel like it's it's interesting because like, I'd love to know to what extent Voldemort would be like, okay, so if all my Horcruxes are destroyed, I will choose to be a ghost so then I can continue to exist. Or to what extent that's his worst fear because he still can see the world around him, but he has none of his magic. Like he can't do spells as a ghost. So would that be almost like such a punishment for him in itself? Yeah. I feel like, Although Voldemort was Slytherin, I feel like one of his downfalls was that he ha- he was full of himself. Like he he didn't con- he didn't think of things because he thought he was too powerful. Like he didn't think of creature being able to leave because it didn't because he didn't think hell he didn't think of hell cells and he didn't think anyone could find the Horcrux in in the room of requirement because only he thought that he knew where that was. So I just just don't think he ever concede anyone ever finding out about the Horcruxes and destroying all of them or even one like he didn't plan on Harry like being almost destroyed with Harry when he tried to kill him because he just couldn't conceive that so like he I guess he thinks things through but he's also very full of himself so he's just like he doesn't like think of things certain things happening to him because it doesn't like work in his brain almost kind of like Lockhart where it's just like he kind of lives in like how he thinks but it's like this could never happen because it's me yeah, I feel like my theory is that, like, it's something he might have considered, but by the time he would have considered it needing to be thought about, he'd already made horcruxes. And I feel like, in my mind, you can't horcrux. If you've already broken your soul into pieces, you can't become a ghost, because a ghost is just a soul, and his soul is already so broken. Like, it wouldn't work. At least that's how I would say. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he also thought dying as a weak, because you know his mom could have saved herself, but she chose to die. And I feel like that weighed on him because he's probably like 15 or 16 when he made the first Horcrux. So he's already thinking, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live forever because I'm not weak. And so I'm going to make a Horcrux. Oh, wait, I'm going to make seven of them. Because as like um, Slughorn said, like, that's crazy. Like, no one would make seven Horcruxes, let alone one, because it's terrible. But he's thinking like long term, like, okay, I'm not going to make one. I'm going to make seven because that's the most powerful and no one's ever done it before. It's just interesting, like, to think about the the parameters for becoming ghost. Like, if your soul is broken up into horror-sized pieces, do you have enough soul to be a ghost? Or can you be seven ghosts? Yeah, that'd be interesting. It'd like, almost be like Star Wars, where, like, all the versions of it. Because the way the diary works... So, like, would can there be a ghost for each horror-crooks-aged Voldemort? <laughs> that'd be interesting. I'm just thinking Star Wars, where those, like, CG transparent, like, ghost things come out when they die. Also, Voldemort's just hanging out. <laughs> With other Voldemorts, they're plotting. They're like, I can't believe you did this. Yeah, I mean, it might be the true dream of a narcissist to just hang out with a bunch of versions of himself. I feel like, in theory, it sounds great, but in reality, it's probably terrible because... <laughs> in practice, yeah. it would be awful, but... Yeah. But we're not narcissists. We don't want to hang out with ourselves. That would be terrible. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pod Revisited. We'll be back next time to discuss Chapter 9 in Chamber of Secrets, The Writing on the Wall. As always, you can email us at podrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com or write to us on social media at podrevisited for any thoughts you have on today's episode or on future chapters. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.